Damn, my clock is 17 seconds ahead. I'm in the future, my guy. Holy shit, dude. I'm feeling 22. I'm feeling 23 right now, man. Yeah, I don't know about you. <laughs> Me personally? Just like, yeah. from my perspective? I'm feeling 22. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Just for where I'm at in my life right now? Like, with my whole situation and, like, considering all the things that I've done to get here? Like, personally. The Babylon Project was our last, best hope for peace. A self-contained world five miles long, located in neutral territory. A place of commerce and diplomacy for a quarter of a million humans and aliens. A shining beacon in space, all alone in the night. It was the dawn of the third age of mankind, the year the Great War came upon us all. This is the story of the last of the Babylon stations. The year is 2259. The name of the place is Babylon 5. Hello and welcome to Chats, the television podcast, season six, Chats Lawn 5. My name is Alan. Twas the night before Chatsmas when all through the ship, not an engine was worried, not even uh, the engine. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Garibaldi soon would be there. The soldiers were nested all snug in their beds while visions of Magellan danced in their heads. <laughs> oh boy, there I am. <laughs> You're like, how's he going to squeeze me into that whole nugget of funny? Uh, I am a bit of a sugar plum, huh? You're extre- You're 100% a sugar plum. I feel like when people meet me and they meet and they hear about my friend Magellan, I describe you immediately as a sugar plum, and they I'm get it. I'm Googling. I'm Googling. Sorry. I'm Googly, Googly, Googly. I'm a sugar plum I'm Googling what sugar plums are because I've never... They're sweet plums. Well, yeah, a sugar plum is a piece but, of drage or hard candy made of uh-huh. hardened sugar and a small round or oval shape. Yeah. Plum in the name of this confection does not mean plum in the sense of the fruit of the same name. They're oh. referred to small size and spherical or oval shape. Oh, so they're just sweet, like grape flavored, like sugar candy. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I think so. Interesting. I did. I'm, we're learning. We're learning holiday facts here on Chatslon Five, the Babylon Five podcast that just won't quit. This week we watched, as always, two episodes of the show. To season two, episode five was our first one. It's called The Long Dark, and the second one was season two, episode six, A Spider in the Web. First, we're going to discuss The Long Dark, which was written by Scott Frost, directed by Maria, directed by Mario DeLeo. It aired November 30th, 1994, and it takes place June 2259. Magellan, my sweet friend, what happened in the long dark? Because God, if I... Well, my sweet friend is you. Hmm. And you know what I want to do for my sweet friend? Is Mm -hmm. I want to tell you what happened in the long dark. In this episode, an ancient Earth sleeper ship arrives on the station, carrying with it not only a human from the past, but a black and terrible soldier of darkness. I don't know how, I don't know if I like the way you said black and terrible. 
Yeah, I don't know if I like that it is written that way. Yeah, these are pulled from the the Babylon Five wiki, by the way. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, yeah. We, I didn't entirely write this one. Um, so Magellan. Uh, hey, yeah, man. go ahead. So I was telling you earlier today. Mm-hmm. You know, Alan and I will will talk a little bit before the episode of like, how are we feeling? What's the general vibe of the room? What kind of chats yeah, episode are right. we having tonight? Because mm-hmm. you know we'll have gushers where we gush. Yeah, big gushos as I call them. Big gushos or gushers <laughs> is a better name. There's <laughs> a reason one of those is a candy, one of those is a fake word. <laughs> <laughs> then we'll kind of have okay, like yeah, you know, our sugar plum, our sugar plum episodes. Yeah. Ooh, good. Yeah. Where it's like uh it seems like it's one thing but it's another but it's still good. Yeah, yeah. And then we'll just have our shit episodes where they're bad and but we're we have talk about them it. being bad. But we, it's fine. Um, and so we agreed that tonight was going to be two episodes that were not great. To the extent that, as I was saying to you, sir, I watched both of these episodes today on the bus from New York home to the Boston, the greater Boston metropolitan area. Mm-hmm. And uh, I cannot remember <laughs> the first episode. <laughs> and I watched yeah, it so the nary, long ter- nary six hours ago. I watched this one over a week, almost a week ago, and I barely remember it too. Like, it's, this is the thing. I went back and watched and listened to the first couple of Chat Salon 5 episodes because I was trying to, like, see how we started off and how we've yeah, progressed in, as a really podcast. Yeah, thinks that our show is really bad, and uh, he didn't want yeah, to Yeah, just me. it's not secretly. I think our show is bad. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, hate it. No, that's not true in the slightest. But um, I was just trying to like he and specifically it was because a, a friend and listener uh, six was saying like, oh, I really liked because he's been getting back into the show, like starting from episode one and mentioned that maybe it's time to bring back the Applebee's bit. And I was like, what? What yeah, Applebee's what? bit what is that? this? And he was like, it's early on in the show. You guys tried to like make up an an improvised scenario where all of the cast of the show goes to Applebee's together and gets dinner and like the hilarity <laughs> that ensues. Uh, and you said that as the show goes on and as you get to know who these characters are more, the joke will be fun. It will get in theory, get funnier. Um, Hmm. So at some point in this episode, we'll just like slip into our Applebee's bit and that'll be our sort of like season two stamp of like, we have now updated the Applebee's joke. Uh, okay. Great. It's, it's deeply funny to me that that was in the first, that was the first episode discussion. It was the, um, uh, midnight on the firing line and then soul hunter episode. So like, we just had nothing to work mm. with. <laughs> right. Uh, like my, and my Londo is just again. like yelling and being annoying. Right, and here we are again with nothing to work with. Can you just tell me what happened? In the long dark? Sure. And yeah. an ancient sleeper ship arrives on the station carrying with it. <laughs> no, 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 but I don't know what those things mean. Okay. So again, I just want to there stress is that a sh- I watched this today. Right. Uh, well, there's a couple of plots. The main one concerns this ship called the Copernicus, which has on it a couple of sleeper pods, which are like, what? earth used before they discovered uh interspace travel which the centauri gave to them uh it's mm-hmm. how they used to travel through like long distances of space is they would put people in cryosleep and wake them up at the right time mm-hmm. um so the copernicus was set off course at some point because it was en route to a planet that we learned at the very end of the episode was uh 
uh, Zahadum, the scary planet that uh, Jakar saw at the beginning of the, the season. The shadows, yeah. Yeah, the shadow or planet. Maybe, maybe we don't know that yet. So it was going there. Yes. <laughs> Let's say what we mean. And um, <laughs> it got intercepted because it got too close to Babylon 5, and then it stopped. And they, they found it. And inside was were at least two cryobeds with people in them. The rest were all dead. One was a guy who just recently... I think just recently, no, he he was like very old and dead, but his body was still intact. And they find out that he was murdered and his name is Will or was Will. Um, and they find out, yeah, like they said, it's not from dying in cryosleep. It's from being killed. Um, mm-hmm. They also find another woman who is alive. They, they release her from cryosleep and find out that her name is Mariah. And mm-hmm. she is taken around the ship by Dr. Franklin and reintroduced to the world. Because she left Earth a hundred years ago. So she's kind of being updated on what's happened in the 2500s. Or in the 2400s, I mean. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so she's coming from the 2300s and being like, wait, you guys have like faster travel now? And you guys like aliens? Like, there's you're not racist anymore? What? And they're like, no, we're still racist, but like in a new special way. Yeah. And she's like, we haven't left conflict behind. <laughs> and they're like, uh... Uh, <sighs> nope. Yeah, that's a it's classic JMS being like, "Hey guys." <laughs> hmm. It's also funny that we we called this show hopeful early on, and while I do still think it's often like very pretty optimistic about things, it's this episode is like all of the conversations with Mariah are just like, "Yeah, so things aren't better." <laughs> you slept for a literal century, yeah, it does and feel nothing like a pretty cynical episode. Yeah, um, and not only. Things. Not like not only is everything worse, but uh, we find out that like I said, she's married to the guy who died, Will, and he died a hundred years ago. And again, bringing on guest characters who just aren't the best actors in the whole universe. She has this like really overwrought reaction, being like, "No, no, Will! Oh my God, my husband!" And then she's and then, over it like pretty quickly dude yeah and then franklin's like your husband died and she's like i didn't like him anyways to be honest we had like had a lot we fought a lot it's it felt it felt like (laughs) it felt like the actor was like whoa 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 wait a minute didn't her husband just die he's like dead right there oh yeah he did (laughs) like she's being reminded of it you mean yeah like I i don't know it was their whole romance just felt uh fake and then hers it, with will or hers with franklin with franklin i mean we don't know uh-huh, anything about uh-huh. hers with will but she sort of gave some yeah. like throwaway thing of oh we we fought and we like broke up a bunch of times yeah but we were brought together by a dream it's like okay sure whatever this is like a, you're talking about a fake character who will never be seen on screen so i don't care that much about it um mm-hmm. but then with franklin i don't know he sort of has this thing of like i don't sleep with my patients and he yeah. kind of like he kind of says that to sheridan and kind of gets indignant when sheridan doesn't trust him uh he, but then right. he does want to fuck her still <laughs> so oh yeah it's like i don't know they just didn't handle this being a conflict for Dr. Franklin in a good way. No, it honestly makes me like him a little bit less knowing that he's very quick to be like, I mean, if you want to have a romance, then like, I'm not going to deny decline that. Like he's right. kind of because he's it, ready. 
like he has seemed throughout the show like the most principled character that there mm-hmm. is and so it seems really odd for him to like all the other principles that he's had he's stuck to to a fault yeah and then in this episode for him to be like but um she's pretty hot you guys so i don't know when this clearly hun- this her attachment to him person. is like sorry go ahead no, no, it's just he's, like, attracted to this 100-year-old who doesn't know anything, so it's kind of this, like, doting. He gets to, like, be sort of a, like, protector figure to him to her, and he likes that a lot. Right, and it's clearly, like, her affection for him is not healthy or grounded in any way mm-hmm. in them knowing mm-hmm. each other. It's just like, well, here's this guy, and, like, I'm in an unfamiliar world, and my husband's dead. <laughs> so, like, I guess he can be a cool guy right i, I guess know. i can just, find like, like no... for her... yeah no you're right you're you're completely right there's no like it It doesn't feel based in his character in franklin's character to fall in love yeah. with a patient he does literally like you said say the line um and I'm, I'm i'm quoting obviously uh but or paraphrasing but he's like i'd never sleep with patients that's inappropriate and right this ties into the scene that made me question all this the most which is related to the b plot which if you don't mind i'm going to briefly get into okay sure so there is a person on the down below this is actually the first shot of the episode um well it's kind of like back and forth kind of awkward framing between the the copernicus like stuff and then this happening on the down below there's a guy who's like freaking out that something's gonna chase him and eat him and He's like trying to recite the Lord's Prayer in case you forgot this show is about religion, guys. <laughs> um, he's like, <laughs> but he our like father. gets it wrong, and it's yeah, yeah, and he like freaks out, and he's all scared. And we learn later that this guy's name is Amos, uh, and he's a guy who lives in the down below. He's a former soldier. He was, I think, the line from Garibaldi is he had so many medals that they could cover his entire body or something when he was no, in no, the no, service. It, uh, it was. Uh... They gave this. They stuck so many ribbons on this guy. He could open a souvenir shop. That was the line. <laughs> you think you're right? Yeah, which I I think is actually great. I'm really loving Garibaldi, season two. I think he's my favorite character, to be honest. Yeah, I mean he's getting a lot to work with. It's kind of like it, you know. He's got these folksy things, and he's like, kind of not as much of a douche anymore because he yeah had a near death experience. Exactly, and he's I'm learning to trust people again. Right, 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 right. Yeah. I, I gotta say I enjoy him as that folksy type much more than Sheridan who we'll talk about in the, in the second episode is kind of becoming like the conspiracy theorist yeah that that Sheridan I am here for 100% <laughs> that Sheridan is way the better than the Sheridan who's just like the like yeah well you're doing a great job and we just have to do really good stuff. Uh, bah, bah, uh, sounds let, let let them go. I'm still not sure. About that. <laughs> it's like every line of this is just the same shit. Right, right, right. Oh, that just made me sad because in the first chat salon five. Sorry, I keep doing this, but in the first chat salon five, we say like, "I want the Sinclair impression to be the pilot impression, where we can just turn it on on a whim, and it's always funny." And he's gone, and I miss him. Yeah. <laughs> I think all... I really like Bruce Boxleitner. I think he's doing good stuff. Yeah, yeah. I just think Sheridan is being written in a really milk toast way. Right. Still, I I I agree though. I think the conspiracy stuff is like what's gonna get him to a good place. Yeah. Um, 
because it almost feels like he is the character being like, guys, there's a main plot. We need to solve the main plot. There's nothing else that's more important than like figuring out the conspiracy between Psycorp and the shadows and yeah. all of that. That's what we need to worry about. Like he's got like vision, um, yeah. which is actually kind of good for a commander. But like, um, sorry, you were connecting the guy the in the B and the B plot to Franklin, right? So uh, after his sort of like whole hallucination uh amos is taken to garibaldi and they they have some good like bonding scenes where they're kind of like talking about the war and it felt to me early on like they were just going to do a ptsd thing like oh this guy was in the war and like that's why he is the way he is is he has a lot of trauma from that uh of course it's a sci-fi show so the like visions in his head have to actually be an evil alien on the ship Mm -hmm. um I think they, impl- if I understood it correctly, the alien that comes on the ship came from the Copernicus. Like when it landed, it switched on to Babylon Five, and it's a, it's a shadow, or it's a, the, it's a soldier of darkness is what like they literally refer to. The shadows. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it works for the shadows. Um, so he basically like is not trusted for a while, and um, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, so he basically he's the one who's like, oh, there's a conspiracy. And the lady on the ship, the Mariah lady, has it in her. Like she has the soldier. And then this is where I paused and like took a like a big paragraph of notes because Sheridan, Garibaldi, and Franklin are having a conversation about who has the right to protect Mariah. Um Garibaldi says that they should take the word of Amos over the word of Franklin and Mariah, that she doesn't have a shadow monster in her, or that she mm-hmm. does, is what Amos says. Um, mm-hmm. because his argument is like this guy was a veteran. We why don't we ever trust veterans? Like he like he has so much war experience. We should trust him. And then Franklin's like, I'm a doctor. I'm a currently impl- working doctor. Like I'm not. You should trust me. And then they like you said, mm-hmm. um, do the back and forth of like, well, but you're also potentially sleeping with the patient. You're compromised. We trust the PTSD soldier more than the doctor. And it's like very. It's like I don't know what they're trying to say there, man. It just felt like this weird criticism of like who we choose to trust in sort of like modern versus conservative opinions uh, yeah, or like lo- older I, style. I don't, I didn't really read a larger narrative into it. I don't think I was thinking that critically about that moment. I think it's just part of, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, part of the negotiating that's happening in this season of John Sheridan trying to decide who he trusts. Uh-huh. Uh, among the characters that we already know. And that is kind of exposing flaws in their character that we didn't necessarily see before. Mm-hmm. Like maybe it is that Franklin's always been kind of a horn dog. <laughs> and because, like, even in the episode where it's like the old lady has the machine that yeah. pulls life out of her. Yeah, he's like he's hanging out with her, flirting with the daughter, daughter. Or granddaughter, or whatever. Yes, he's he's always kind of got something going on. So maybe we just didn't see it before. I don't know, but yeah, it it is odd that this guy's uh, military credentials qualify him to be entirely trustworthy. When also clearly uh, there's something off. He's compromised about him. Yeah. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't think they intentionally went for anything. It just felt like, oh, you guys are like saying things that you're not reckoning with, and like, you're like, we're not going to do anything with this. It's just something to think about as a viewer. Like, huh? Like, what are we? Mm-hmm. What? What? What's the kind of point here? Because I like to tackle television from that angle. It's like you guys aren't sure. saying this, but what do I think you're saying? Kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because you can kind of you can find a lot of like cool thematic stuff that the show and that, that was more so a thing with the cyborg in the second episode that i was like this is way more interesting than you're making it out to be like let's let's do something with mm-hmm. it but they don't yet yeah. um so anyways like amos they have that whole argument um it turns out he's right there is a, an agent of the shadows now on the ship and then we have this really really forgettable boring action scene where like garibaldi ivanova and sheridan go like into some basement and they bring amos with them and he's like it's right over there shoot the wall and they like shoot an invisible being and it like shakes or whatever and then they shoot at cg mist for 10 minutes and then uh he's like it wants me and he like runs up to it and they shoot around amos and then the cg mist dies mm-hmm. like congratulations and then uh garibaldi like cradles him in his hands like a five-year-old child and he's like no more bad dreams amos it's over it- it's over like no bud there's like four minutes and 17 endings to go you know it's not over yet <laughs> silly michael um, so yeah the, after this point they rec- they realized that Copernicus, Copernicus was going to Zahadum and the final shot of the episode is this very silly moment where Jakar who we haven't seen all episode um, we saw him at the beginning yes no I'm sorry there's a council meeting at the beginning where they're talking about all this stuff and it's just it, all it serves yeah. to, to me yeah go ahead well and it's just like all these aliens are like oh man we know that the shadows exist and there's something evil and Londo's like, Pfft, you guys. Right. Uh, Londo's just the cynic and everyone else is like, no, we know it's there. And he's like, guys, you're just making up reasons to not give me money or whatever stupid. Like, yeah. Um, like reason Londo has to be skeptical. But Londo's skeptical. Jakar is like curious. And to close the book, the literal book on his conspir- on his curiosity, he is like going through his uh, Narn uh, prayer book and mm-hmm. just finds a like, soldier of darkness dot jpeg in uh in his book and it's like (gasps) cool it's more just like a uh uh-oh kind of ending which i think is better than um like some of the endings where it's just like man it do be like that in space sometimes anyways (laughs) (laughs) bye-bye like i i appreciate that more i I still think man the best babylon 5 like second slash third slash fourth ending ever is the one where sinclair is like done with the plot and then goes to bed and he turns the lights off and then like he immediately gets like a ring on his his communicator that's like commander there's an issue at like three in the morning and he's like uh back to work i think that's <laughs> yeah. just so good <laughs> that's a good one yeah nothing will ever match uh sinclair like getting in his jammies and then being like damn it the aliens are at it again <laughs> hmm. <laughs> so uh do you have any stray notes at all at all for this mess of an episode no yeah uh, no. I don't think I do either. I'm just skimming. Uh, I thought the cryotube stuff was kind of cool. Like, uh, And then Franklin and yeah. Mariah have a weird scene at the end where she's like, I got to go. But like, once I sort my shit out, I'll be back if you want me to be. And he's like, yeah, probably. Do it. Why not? Heck yeah. Bring it on. <laughs> so that's. can I just see if she comes back real quick? Yeah. Just... <laughs> you have you have accepted the mantle of... um like allows self to be spoiled she doesn't come back oh you looked it up <laughs> yeah yeah she doesn't come back <laughs> okay cool um i but, just yeah by but... the way googled by the way i just googled chats wiki instead oh, of shit Papillon five wiki when is that uh, all right guys get make it happen fans yeah, you can do come it come on chop chop team 
I want to see all my old running gags brought turned into a wiki. Um, yeah, all those great classic bits. Those classic bits. Uh, there's a couple of moments that I thought were interesting that we didn't talk about. Uh, Mariah, even though her performance isn't great, has a line where she's talking to Franklin and she can't cry. And it's so like heartbreaking and scary to me because she's like, I can't cry. I'm trying to cry. My brain is not like it's not coming out. And then he's like, mm. your tear ducts don't work anymore because they've been dry for a th- for 100 years. And I'm like, oh, Holy my fuck. God, that's bleak. <laughs> that's crazy. Um, It's really bleak. And it's just they just move right on. Like sometimes Avalon 5 just says this thing yeah. where they're like, hey, things are dark in the world. Anyways, moving right along. Um, There's some good moments here and there where she's talking to different people about what the world is like. Uh, Franklin says it's going to take more than 100 years to evolve a better human. Yeah, that's a good line. So then, yeah, the there's that line. And then, oh, yeah, Jakar talks to her. And he's like, yeah. He's like, I'm, I'm imagining him, like, smoking a cigarette. Being like, yeah, we're all, like, just screwed up back here. Like, everything's terrible. Mm-hmm. He says, the future isn't what it used to be, which is an like, excellent line. And I'm like, wow, another, like, great line, Babylon 5. Did you pull this from somebody else? Nobody wrote, you guys didn't write this, did you? Uh, they did not. That is a Yogi Berra quote. <laughs> Like of all the people to give Jakar a line from, the baseball player Yogi Berra said the future isn't what it used to be. Yeah, Jakar has such weird, specific like Earth references. Yeah, what was man. the other thing that he cared a lot about in this episode? I don't remember? No, in a different episode, there was like a song that he cared that was like he was trying to figure out, like the Happy Birthday song or something. I don't remember. Oh, oh, the Hokey Pokey. The hokey pokey. Yeah, that was Londo. Like, that was Londo. Yeah, because Londo like had oh, Delenn right. and her atta- her friend like come to his room and oh, he's like, "Hey right. guys, I'm doing research on the hokey pokey." <laughs> okay, well then this show is just <laughs> stupid. <laughs> yeah, I agree. No, like, okay. So the the ho- this is a little transition because I want to talk. Um, I don't have anything else about this episode, but I want to give fine. a little update on my progress in uh, Babylon Five, Book Number One, Voices. Uh, yeah. so my book update now is I am on, let's look, chapter seven. I'm kind of going slow. I've been very busy with the holidays. Um, but a lot of things are happening. I've actually started like highlighting and taking notes of lines. Um, my biggest issue in the last couple is it feels like, uh, John Vornholt, the writer, like doesn't care that the show takes place in the future and he just wants to write a show in the present. I think, hmm. what, um, what, what makes you say that? I believe it's Garibaldi who, uh, so if you remember the premise of the book is like the side core people are having a conference on Babylon five and he's freaking, yeah. he's stressing out about this. Yeah. Um, Talia is trying to deal with them and then Garibaldi is dealing with them and he has one of the people like try to find the bathroom and they're like, why isn't your place fancier? And he says, this ain't the Ritz Carlton buddy. And I'm like, no, like, hmm. come on. He shouldn't know what the Ritz Carlton is. He wasn't born when the earth had hotel. Yeah. Like, why does he know what that is? because that's not like maybe because he watches a lot of movies right because he watched duck dodgers um well there there have got to be things that just enter that enter the language that maybe he doesn't know that it was a hotel but he just knows like it's a phrase that's like just a fancy thing people say buddy yeah like uh trying to think of an example I mean, the term ritzy comes from from that also. Right. Like, there's uh, there's famous stuff there. Um, yeah, worth considering. And then also, uh, there's a moment where one of the psychics, like, there's a lot of like sexualizing psychops. 
which I hate because <laughs> I don't think the Cyclops are meant to be like hot. Wait, um, why? Like all of them are just sexy. Well, all the ones that are referenced in this book, at least the ones that are like having have speaking lines, are like she was beautiful. She was in like tight leather, and she like walked <laughs> up fuck? and like her legs went all the way up. And the only part where that worked for me was, and this is extremely Alan, uh, Natoth and Garibaldi. Natoth, who is um, Jakar's attaché, is yeah. they're both looking at one of them, and uh, Garibaldi's like, "I better go after them and at least describe how I blasted my way out of here." Like he's trying to impress one of them. And then yeah. Natoth goes, she is attractive. Natoth conceded with a hint of womanly envy. <laughs> it's like, so Ooh. like Natoth's like a queer woman. That's fine. She's like a horny hmm. lady. That's okay. Hmm. There's a couple parts there where she's like with Garibaldi, like admiring other girls. Hmm. And it feels interesting. Um, they characterize Bester really weirdly. He says, um, he's talking to Mr. Gray, who he's still like buddy buddy with. Yeah. And they're kind of fighting back and forth because they have different views of like how to treat humans. And yeah. then when he like is about to talk down uh, Mr. Gray, he says the the line is "My boy," said Buster, said Bester like a favorite uncle. Don't take it personally; it's <laughs> just a way we have of shortcut communications. It's like <laughs> Bester, your favorite uncle, the <laughs> the psychic murderer man. Oh, yeah. And then they also make it extremely, extremely clear and explicit that Mr. Gray has like an actual sexual romantic crush on Ivanova. Um, Please, Susan, Gray pleaded, stop thinking of me as the enemy. You know, I didn't choose this path. I wanted to be a soldier. I've got a career and I'm trying to get somewhere in the channels that are open to me like you. I'm all alone, just like you. <laughs> oh, and then what's this? There's, I, sorry, I just like highlighted a lot of like good quotes. Um, Ivanova frowned in thought I'm not sure in both cases their aim was to shock the bourgeoisie and the accepted art establishment but the Dada movement was more of a collective effort and performance art was individualistic I read about one woman who would take a Zima bottle and put it up her Grace suddenly grimaced and put his hands to his head (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's that's them like appreciating art at some point there's just a lot of like silly deeply silly moments that are just like it's fun to watch the characters that we know uh, in different situations yeah. But uh, in terms of actual major plot, it's just there hasn't been much. It's it really is a lot of like character work in the framing of what do we do when there's a, bi- a bunch of psychics on the ship. Like Garibaldi stresses out and doesn't sleep enough and gets really grumpy. Uh, Ivanova like runs away from Mister Gray and you know Sheridan is doing his best that kind of thing. Yeah. Um. But yeah. I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna try to get like halfway through it soon. It's just kind of. I think the thing is so far I just feel like it's kind of this. The problem is it it's it's written like it's one very long episode of Babylon 5 or a two-parter. So there isn't like the build up is taking too long cuz normally the build up and conclusion happens in 45 minutes. Um but mm. in this it's like yeah. a 250 page book, so right, Is it that right, long? Right. No, oh yeah, 2 240. But yeah, so that's going to do it for my little book update. And okay. um do you want to do our little social media check-in? Let's read some emails. Sure, let's do it. Sweet. We received two emails this week, both from our or both from our buddy Dan. I think actually one of these is from over a week ago, but because of our weird recording schedule, we're like technically two weeks behind on emails, but it's okay. Um, so Magellan, if you want to read the first one from Dan. Sure. Um, this first email from our buddy Dan addresses points of departure and revelations, uh, which were the episodes that we covered two weeks ago. Is that right? I believe so, yes. Yes. Okay. 
Uh, Dan says, Mimbari metaphysics can be weird to parse because sometimes it flirts with being sciency, but then there's a bunch of talk about souls. I guess that's just how things roll when a full third of your ruling body is from your religious caste. Yep, I agree with that. A lot of fans of the show were really primed to hate John Sheridan before he even actually appeared on the screen. I remember seeing JMS talking to a message board to try to calm down the white-hot nerd rage that erupted from the departure of Sinclair. Of course, the fandom wasn't aware of Michael O'Hare's struggles with mental illness, and they just assumed that it was some corporate move to put in a more appealing lead character. All JMS could really say at the time was, give this new guy a chance. I think that the first handful of episodes with, uh, with John Sheridan are to establish that he's a completely different character, that he's a her- character we can enjoy just as much as Sinclair. Um, and what we've been saying, that he's kind of presented as like likable to the extreme. Yeah, they really want you to think he's cool. Right. So hopefully they start they stop doing that. Mm-hmm. It's super okay to not like Warren Keffer. Thank you. Who's, who's Warren <laughs> Keffer again? The worst character in the world, remember? The guy, the pilot, who keeps becoming like more and more successful. Oh, he's failing upwards. Yes. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, yes. I just reignited an, an, a fire in you, Magellan. Oh yes. Here we go. Let me read yes. this. It's yeah. super okay to not like Warren Keffer. Many people don't. He's a network note character that mm-hmm. was added against the will of JMS. Mm. Mm. the suits thought that the show needed a ground level every man and i'm pretty sure that the character was written under protest and that it shows in all the small ways yep that now i like it a lot more that he's just randomly at dinner with them because it was like the network said that you gotta have him in there yeah now i'm now i'm proud of jms for the way that he's been doing this guy Everything that happens to Sinclair between Chrysalis and Points of Departure is actually a story told in the comic In Darkness Find Me. As you can imagine, his transition to being the human ambassador to Mimbar isn't a smooth one. Okay, I have a question. Check that out. Yeah. Um, if anyone can help me find the comics, that'd be really useful because I found resources for all the books, but the comics are like in... I really want to read that comic specifically. Yes. Uh, because I'm curious about the Sinclair stuff. Same. The interesting thing about the scripts and the script books is that they really muddy up the idea of what was supposed to originally happen because the scripts were constantly morphing to incorporate all the new things as they happened in the show. It can be a, be a bit academic to compare the show to one that never was, but I'm the sort of nerd who enjoys that kind of thing. Uh, I think yeah. we read an email that where he talked about some of the differences. Is that what that's referring to? Right, based on the script books, yeah. Yeah. It's a tidy choice that they should use the medical machine from Quality of Mercy. That's the episode I was trying That's to That's the one. The of, uh, to revive yeah. Garibaldi, but it is weird to have such a machine around. Originally, the plan was to use the one leftover vial of immortality serum from Deathwalker to save Garibaldi, but that thread got dropped. Yeah, I thought that got destroyed. The machine? Um, no, no, no. The immortality serum. Oh, right. I thought I thought she just left with it. Oh, yeah. And then got blown up, right? Yes. So then, yeah, you would think it would just be gone. Delenn's transformation is an interesting thing when compared to what it was originally designed to stand for. Mm -hmm. Had the story stuck to those early scripts, this transformation wouldn't have just been about her becoming a human-Mimbari hybrid, but would have also been about the character changing from a male to a female. Oh, because she was supposed (sighs) to be male at first. She was male at first, but the transformation was going to make her a girl. Right. And presumably Sinclair would have still been there and had that boing moment at her unveiling instead of Sheridan. Interesting. First of all, 
introducing a trans subplot to a character in 1994 would have been incredible if handled well. I doubt it would have been handled that well. Who oh, knows? certainly not. <laughs> Especially with the aforementioned uh, boing moment. <laughs> right. Not just like now she has hair, so she's hot, but also now uh, she's female, so she's hot. Yes, exactly it's right. All, it's all fraught. Um, and then Dan finishes off by asking me, uh, Magellan, where the heck are you reading the next episode descriptions from? I guess that the plus is that the descriptions are so bland that you don't have to worry about spoilers. But on the other hand, they seem to go to extremes to say nothing at all. They are on Amazon, my friend, which is where we watch the episodes. They are, yeah, not good. Uh, we could start reading the wiki summaries but i kind of like that the amazon ones are are so pithy and ultimately useless right it's It's, just like a it's it's just like a little taste of like like some shit's gonna happen (laughs) it's sort of like how tv shows you know used to do like next time on this and they'd only show you five seconds of someone being like alan no And yeah, like Clone High made the ultimate joke about that, where every episode right. like would do a yeah. next time for an episode that didn't never happen. Mm-hmm. Um, is that that? That's that email, right? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually um I have some follow ups about the Kefir stuff from Twitter. Uh, specifically, okay. specifically from users uh, Twitter listeners Danny and Jonathan, who I think have both emailed us before. Um, Danny starts by saying the Kefir role was forced onto JMS by the studio. He had no creative thinking about this role, so he it's basically throwaway. He's luckily the last thing forced upon the show from season three onward, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, Jonathan says, The quote from the DVD commentary that everyone's referring to is, The network executives at TNT told me they wanted to add a, quote, hot shot pilot kind of character to attract viewers. Oh and Danny God. concludes, It goes to show how stupid TV executives can be. Like, you don't need that on this show. Yeah. You just simply don't like we talked about this. We've 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 like buried this point this point to death at this point. But like, yeah, Kefir's bad. No one likes Kefir. Even yeah, listener Olivia sent another thing in where she was like, I'm curious why he's so bad. And I was saying like, yeah, they um, he's not a real person. Basically, (laughs) he's like a construct of the network. Hmm. Uh, We have a second email. This one's actually regarding uh, Geometry of Shadows and a Distant Star. Also from friend Dan. A little shorter, though. Uh, William Ford, the actor portraying Lord Rifa, that's the other um, Centauri from the beginning of Geometry of Shadows, mm-hmm. he made an acting choice to mimic Peter Jurassic's Londo accent. Uh, on that account, it's amusing to me every time you guys do the Mr. Garibaldi uh, <laughs> bit because any line that Peter Jurassic needed to get into character with Londo, that was his go-to line. That was his like accent practice. Was saying Mr. Garibaldi? Apparently. No way. I can't. I don't know if I can believe that. I'm gonna. If you can corroborate that, or if anyone can corroborate that, then thank you. Yeah, but like, that's great. Find that's proof great. Because, <laughs> and that's all, Alan. Like identifying that is the funniest. Yeah. Most. I I indicative. just like heard that part and was like, this is so perfect. Yeah. Mister Garibaldi. Garibaldi. Are you the chicken fingers, Mister Garibaldi? Chicago's <laughs> <laughs> like. Mr. <laughs> Ambassador Malari, you ordered, you did not order the ooh, chicken Christmas. Ooh. You ordered the fajita. <laughs> that was good. Thank Dear you. Ambassador Malari again. <laughs> Damage the car. I told you over and over again. I don't get the fajita. The plate is too hot. 
Sheridan's like, now, now. Sheridan's like, now, now. Listen up, kids. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's like John Wayne. (laughs) It's John Wayne meets that brand. Well, hold on now, Londo. (laughs) (laughs) Now, now, Londo. Hang on a second. What are you trying? I'm paying the bill. Slow your roll there, fella. Slow your roll, partner. If we're gonna uh if we're gonna defeat the shadows, you're gonna have to decide on dinner. And Garibaldi's like, listen up there, twinkle toes. <laughs> listen up there. I ordered I ordered steak raw with extra butter. Well done. He's like holding as someone's hell, head awesome. down against the table. <laughs> yeah, he's got the waiter who's just a chet, like straight down. He's like, Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And Delenn is like Mr. Garibaldi, would you like to suck on my toes? Because <laughs> oh, she's super sexual oh. now that everyone, so everyone just has to like right, her right. like that. No, I know. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that's the that's the bit. She's like, yeah, I, we're watching this is the, the same bit. show here, guy. <laughs> Sometimes I don't know, man. This show is all over the place. Um, and then, what do you think Ivanova's doing at this point in the in the in the Applebee's? Oh, this is this is a big trip to Applebee's. This is like a group trip. You know, given how they've been treating Ivanova in the past few episodes, nothing, honestly. I think she is trying to order like a shrimp, a shrimp dish, and then Sheridan scamp. I didn't want to say shrimp scamp because I don't know if they have shrimp scamp yet. Applebee's. Let me Google shrimp scampi um, Applebee's. Applebee's, <laughs> and then hit images, and then get hungry. Um, no, she tries to order shrimp scampi, and then Sheridan is like, "No, no, 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 no! I, uh, I'm gonna say she needs the." Uh, uh, he probably he probably leans over over, and he's like, "That's a great order. You really did a great job. You did a great that job. Dish. I'm really impressed. I'm I'm promoting you to paying the bill." <laughs> <laughs> She's like. What the? <laughs> I'm turning in my resignation right now, and she writes it on the back of the receipt, like "bye." <laughs> just says "bye." Oh, they do have it, by the way, dude. Don't worry. They have shrimp scampi at Applebee's. A hundred percent. There's a whole All right. Google here. Let me just link you All this right. Google image search. Well, right I mean, quick. Magellan. It sounds like we have to go to Applebee's at some time this break. <laughs> yeah, that sounds perfect. And get shrimp scampi Applebee's on Google. Yeah. Oh yeah. Taste of summer, dude. Yeah, you could, you could, you could mess this up, huh? I could kind of mess up this shrimp scampi from Applebee. <laughs> I'm really eyeing this piece of garlic bread that comes with it. Yeah, can I just have the garlic bread? It looks delicious and toasty. Hold yeah. on, sorry. Although if you go to that third row, you see a real picture of what it looks like in real life. And it's... Oh, ew! Oh no! Yeah, just soak that in. Not as impressive. Oh, Jesus! And that's a that Yelp garlic... picture too. Yeah, yeah. Oh boy! Uh, all right. Well, that's it, 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 it. What is it? Expectations versus reality. In in a nutshell. Yeesh. Mm-hmm. In a you sorry, in a shrimp shell. Guys, she told you not to worry about or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Good memeing, dude. Good memeing. Thanks, man. I don't really meme much, but yeah, I like but that when one you... and the Pikachu meme. Those are the memes oh, yeah. I like. Dude, I love the Pikachu meme. It's a good one. Oh, it's perfect. Um, so this Dan email is not finished. <laughs> oh, sorry. Dan goes on. <laughs> I was like, why? Are no, we no, no. That's my. So I, long? No, no. Yeah, uh, I that that was essential work on our part. Uh, yeah. Dan says, "Hey, was this the first introduction of the Drazi <laughs> with the like the colors and the unnecessary war?" I think so. Um, 
or maybe we've sort of seen them around because i feel like we see a drowsy person in the first one he... when he like offers garibaldi some of his octopus um pancake or whatever yes and then garibaldi's like uh great garibaldi moment he's like oh, i'm trying to cut down and he like widens his eyes and raises his eyebrows in a really intimidating way uh, and he's like save me some dessert i can't really do it yes voice, oh, yeah. but, right yeah. um i think it, yeah maybe but then he says this is one of those bits of info that has gone lost on me through the years of exposure to the show and it's a shame because i like the drowsy i'm gonna say right now if uh, if they come back i believe this if it's just on this episode i don't believe you <laughs> yeah let me, um but sure let me just oh, i gotta know uh, it seems kind of ridiculous. What is there to them? There's, they're nothing. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, if this is the episode you watch and you're like, yeah, Drazi, number one alien race. Like, what? No, what? But I'm sure they come back if people are saying they're like a good race of aliens. Yeah, they come uh, back. It seems ridiculous that an alien species capable of miracles like space flight would have a cartoonish anarchy-based political system. Right. Uh, if this was some sort of swipe at Earth's political systems, I felt it felt a bit like a joke without a punchline. It felt more like let's put Ivanova into a wacky situation more than anything else. That's exactly yep. right. Agreed. Um, he continues his point that we've also been drilling, which is uh, Kefir can frell off. Thank you for this, the Farscape reference. Hmm. And finally, that Dr. Franklin slash Ivanova scene with the quote expanding Russian border struck me as odd on later viewings, mostly in light of the doctor's history. And this is going to bum you out, Magellan. History of having inappropriate or borderline inappropriate interactions with female patients. Mm. first in quality of mercy again in the long dark and not for the last time mm. that's more think, scary than telling thing, me that the shadows are coming <laughs> i think the thing that was ultimately upsetting about the long dark is that it didn't present that in a way that was asking us to see it as a bad thing exactly you know? yeah uh-huh. like that's that's a great uh conflict or like dark side for franklin to have that he's like a great doctor but he's also just kind of likes ladies you can do a lot with that um but if you just sort of treat it as like he's hunky then (laughs) it doesn't really play as something that works i don't know exactly yeah it's 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 a it's a rough direction to take his character well I guess we're um, going to see how it continues. Indeed. And we'll uh, take a brief musical break here, and we will be right back to discuss a spider in the web. Introduce the episode in that voice. Yeah, I do, baby. Oh yeah. <laughs> You're gonna hurt your throat, but go off. <laughs> no way. Oh yeah. All right. Starting the episode in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to Chats, a television podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it is I, Cyborg Frog. <laughs> hey everybody, welcome back to Channel One Live. The second episode we watched this week was season two, episode six, A Spider in the Web. Oh, God. 
Oh, I feel like I'm gonna. <laughs> You're gonna hurt stuff. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Thank you, Cyborg Magellan. <sighs> Bring give Magellan back to me, though. I need him. I need him on the show. No, uh, Alan, help me. Help no. me. No. Something. <laughs> what? What am I? <laughs> I'm the wife being like, oh, you're a cyborg? That's fine. You're still my husband, and I love you. <laughs> Honestly, the least realistic thing about a spider in the web is that she doesn't fall in love with the android. She's like, oh, you're or the cyborg. She's like, oh, you're a cyborg? Ew. It's like, no, love robots. Love robots? Please? What are you saying? I love robots. Hey, we're talking about season two, episode six of Spider in the Web. Get, it was written get by out of my intro. Hey, I'm everybody, sorry. welcome Oops. back to Chat Salon 5. The second episode we watched this week was Season 2, Episode 6, A Spider in the Web. Written by Lawrence G. Dottilio, directed by Kevin G. Kremen. It aired December G. 1994, <laughs> December 7th, 1994, and it takes place in March sometime of 2259. Now, is that correct? This happens before the previous episode? That is what the wiki says. I did double-check these credits, so yeah. Weird. Okay. Is this a aired out of order situation? Oh, remember because we noticed that in season two, there was a different airing order. Do you yeah. think, Magellan? Oh, whatever. I can't find it. If I find it later, I'll tell you. Okay, thanks. Uh, what happened in this episode? That's something you can tell me. <laughs> For sure. Uh, well, John, a, a cyber zombie stalks Talia Winters on board Babylon Five. Uh, more interesting than uh, The Long Dark for sharks. Yeah, I felt myself enjoying this one. Yeah. To to actually flush out that um, that summary, there is like a decent amount of big stuff going on in this episode. We can't discount this as like entirely filler. Um, apparently, Sheridan is like very proud of his job now because he's talking about like, man, I, like I, lo I love helping out and like helping and getting rid of criminals and doing all the work on Babylon 5 at the beginning of this episode. It's like, all mm -hmm. right, we literally had a whole plot where you like complained to your best friend that you wish you didn't have this job, and okay, sure. But um, right. he's doing that, and then a British Asian man meets Talia, and his name is Mr. Isogi, uh, and he's there for a conference with an Amanda Carter, who uh, is part of the Mars government. And Isogi is this guy who's supposed to be uh, doing some peace-dealing uh, talks and trying to end the conflict on Mars and get good, like sort of equity for all involved parties. We are receiving hints that the different factions are trying to push and pull on Babylon 5. This actually reminded me a little bit of the plot of the book I've been reading, the Babylon 5 Voices book, where it's like mm -hmm. there are greater forces at work on Babylon 5 trying to like make a difference in their society. Uh, but, you know, because like weird, weird cameo from um, Jessica Walters in <laughs> classic. Yeah, very jarring. Very strange. Felt like a completely different show to just be like, oh, I guess Jessica Walters is here, like a young 1990s Jessica Walters. Um, Jessica Walter, excuse me. Um, and she is like from Earth Government, and she's like, hey, Senator Voudreau is her name. Uh, and she's like, hey, Sheridan, you need to make sure that this Isogi guy doesn't get what he wants. He's lying to everybody, and he's a bad guy. Future Corp demands it, which you can't name a company Future Corp <laughs> in your sci-fi <laughs> yeah. show. Right. That's can't the most really like I wrote this in. I wrote this in call. The the problem, dude, is is Future Corp is the dumbest company name ever. But I bet you it's real. Future Corp. Yeah, like I think it loops around and it's so dumb that it's real. Here's a question for you: How do you feel about the fact that everything's Googleable in our society? 
Because some people well, I think, I think... don't like that every like question can be resolved in the moment. I mean, it the, so there are questions that I wish Google couldn't just give me. Like I wish I could just think about them and not have an answer. Like I prefer the mysticism of not knowing how certain things happen. Because often, like what Google reveals to us is that the world there, like a lot of the things that we find mystical and amazing, are a lot more grounded in like uh, oppression and like. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfair conditions to people who don't uh, who don't deserve it. Like every time I look up, like how is this cool thing made? It's like the answer is through critical, unfair, d- deathly unhealthy labor. <laughs> You're like, oh, all right. Well, right, now but, I know, and now I'm sad. Right, but we should know those things. Like we. But should we should know those things. Thing. As adults, we should know those things, and it's it is one sort I of avenue for us to learn that. More like uh, you know, like ah, uh, who who starred in don't throw mama from the train or throw mama from the what was the title of the mama train movie (laughs) and then you look it up (laughs) yeah that's what i'm saying like do you like that we live in a world where people can look it up or do you wish we lived in that seinfeld episode where they like they just never know for a whole week uh sometimes i wish we lived in the seinfeld episode with stuff like that yeah i'm kind of like i'd rather because i have like a weirdly encyclopedic brain for movie credits uh throw it's throw mama from the train it's danny devito and it's billy crystal by the way mm, um, thank you uh by the way future corp london does exist you can go to futurecorp.london.com fantastic thanks guys thanks for making this show a reality thank you um so so if she's from future corp she's telling sheridan like hey don't do this uh sheridan is arguing with well she's Talia. a senator isn't, isn't she senator voudreau correct yeah yeah so she's, I guess, yeah. on the. It, it's the all related to this, like Mars wants to be independent stuff. Asogi is trying to find a kind of like capitalist, free of conflict solution mm-hmm. to Mars slowly becoming separate and self-sufficient, and it seems like Earth people don't want that to happen. Brother, I think what would make this episode a million times better. Is, <laughs> is if we uh if we if instead of being about like and then he gets killed by a guy who goes free Mars and turns out to be a cyborg controlled by the Cycorp um Right. Yeah like Ooh. conspiracy. Instead of that nonsense, if it was like actually just the the and maybe this is me. Maybe this is us, right? Like I would prefer the political talks where they work out how to fix Mars. And we talk about the problems on Mars and we like get some boots on the ground and kind of understand yeah. what, why this is important. Like that seems more interesting to me. Yeah. Because we're kind of just taking the free Mars thing at face value as like, Oh, it's a colony. So of course they want to be independent mm-hmm. and there isn't really a lot of critical thought or talk of like what colonization is and what it does to people's and, that sort of thing that is yeah more interesting in terms of comparing it to our society today and the history of the earth as opposed to there's a secret organization burrowed deep under the the wasteland of san diego and they're controlling crazy <laughs> robots with their might <laughs> there are isn't that messed up they're basically making terminator it's like it's a secret shadow organization that <laughs> pulls all the strings. Yeah, like, all we're doing is we're verifying that, yes, Psycorp are evil. Not only right, are they which, evil in the ways okay, you knew, they also you. have cyborgs. Yeah, it's good that we are doing that. 
And I will say when I was watching, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Um, but now that you say, like, yeah, I just wish we could dig more into the Mars stuff from a political perspective. Like, is is that so much to ask? Like, if you're going to keep telling me that Mars' conflict is important, maybe we get there, you know? You know, you can't. Yeah. I would, I, if you want to tell us, like, hey, hold out hope, it's coming, that's great. But, like, I don't want to know exactly when or how that comes up. Um, I'm I'm curious about like why are we rebelling on Mars? Like what we know that it's a it's part of it is an identity thing. Like the people who say uh, you know get off at a, at Mars will never be free until the sands run free with Earth or blood. Run is there like one of their lines? Run red, run sorry, run red with Earth or blood. And it's like okay, so what they're saying they like are putting a line in the sand of like there are Earth people and we are Mars people. So there's right. that. But then, like, and why? And there's, like, discrimination from Earthers towards Martians. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Like, I want I want to know, how did that come about? And, like, what is government change going to do to affect that? Like, I, I, well, I'm curious. And yeah, I think this show's already about politics, you know? <laughs> that's the thing that I think undercuts a lot of the commentary that the show can make overall, is that it's just not very specific in the circumstances it's creating. So we don't we can't really draw much from the Mars situation because it's just they want to rebel because because corporations bad yeah because oppression right and I think if we were able to explore that more and add some specificity to it it would actually be a lot easier to take away more general uh, lessons about yeah. like, society and humanity. Right, that's sort of you know the same thing with like the Drazi situation. Exactly, like, this is just kind of toothless and vaguely about distinctions between people. I guess I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a little it's it's very iffy. Um, I don't mean to be down on this episode because I no. enjoyed the process of watching it. For sh- yeah, like. And and the cyborg stuff again, like we said in the first half, isn't handled poorly. Like there's some, uh, there's some pathos to learning about this guy, yeah, Abel Horn. There's been dumber, new, random stuff created. Certainly, in the show. like techno infection, mages. techno mages, uh, <laughs> the Drazi universe, universe breakingly dumb. Yeah, but this cyborg, calling them cyborg zombies is not great, but. The idea that, like, the way that Psycor is creating assassins is by capturing people at the moment of their death and trapping them in a psychic death prison. Like, Where it loops the end of their scary. life? That's crazy. That's yeah. awesome. Why don't I like it more? You don't like it? I don't know, man. Like, I like the idea of it. I like him seeing, like, oh, shit, that's my ship. Oh, I'm dead. Maybe it's the performance. Maybe it's... And, and honestly... Yeah, I, I think it's two things. I think it's... The fact that we're getting it instead of the Mars stuff that we just talked about and the fact that yeah, this yeah. actor's choice that he's making for when he's possessed is like to be it's this like uncanny valley moment where his face doesn't look like a face anymore. <laughs> yeah, it kinda doesn't. Um it, it's this this guy, Abel Horn, is is um he was a soldier, I guess, and uh before he was destroyed they took his body and they Psycorp made him into an assassin. Uh, the way he's introduced is Asogi and Talia are like going at, walking home from dinner and he just walks up to them and goes free Mars and then force lightning chokes Asogi to death right. immediately. Yeah. And it's like, okay, 
there goes any chance of the show talking about the Mars stuff. All right, okay, I guess we're doing this now. Uh, all right. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, ta- we get what I do like another thing I like about this episode is Talia gets to be front and center for once. You know, it is about her, yeah. her anxiety about this and her worrying that like, this was going to be, I saw you saying this was going to be like the thing he could live for was that he helped Mars achi- achieve a, a more yeah, and, fair. And it moves, it moves past that too, because we've seen Babylon five time and again, do like, it's my old friend. Oh, they died, uh-huh. or oh, they transformed into an immortal light being, or oh, they left. <laughs> like, I yep. don't know that that wasn't particularly compelling to me that she wants to carry on his legacy, especially because at the end, now, um, everyone is like, yeah, continue his legacy, even though I don't think that everyone on the ship agrees that Mars should be free. Like, I don't think Sheridan agrees with that. Me I neither. Believe, I don't believe that he does. So that felt weird i think garibaldi certainly does believe in free mars yeah the first like long conversation about this stuff is talia talking to garibaldi yet again in an elevator ding dong yeah uh, being like hey here's like my problems and i'm so nervous and i'm so depressed about this and you know again instead of him like saying what he thinks about he seems like ah seems kind of messed up from all sides anyways goofy goofy joke and then she's like oh that makes me happy that we're having jokes and like it's a really nice moment but like I don't know what he thinks about the Mars situation, other than well, yeah, we know about well, I his. I think he's uh, got a history of being from yeah, there, and his wife. I got the, or I got the sense from the last season that he is in favor of free Mars, but it doesn't make sense that Sheridan is like willing to encourage that because he seems like such a by the book, pro Earth, like a Earth Alliance guy that it doesn't mm-hmm. quite calculate. Honestly. Uh, one of the problems with Sheridan's politics is he's influenced by whoever talks to him first. <laughs> like right. Jessica just Walters. Like, yeah. It seems entirely audience facing in every moment where he's just going to do the thing that we in our gut feel is like cool. Like, yeah, exactly. He'll just go there. Um, yeah. I Sorry. I had a, a point that I sort of diverted myself from. Oh, sure, um, sure. Which is that, like, I I didn't care so much for Talia's relationship with Asogi. I, it, it meant nothing to me because it's like, oh, he was like a father, mentor, friend. It's like you can't even pick one thing that he was. You're just sort of like, hey, I knew him and good feelings. But what I did like a lot about this episode and what I think is the most important thing it does is... Again, Sheridan is trying to figure out, like, what's up with these people? Who can I trust? And he talks to Ivanova and he says, can I trust Talia Winters? Right. It's like, dude, and, she's main character material. Yeah, and Ivanova says, ah. well, first he's like, what do you think of her? And she's like, well, she's amazing and beautiful, <laughs> and I'm in love with her. And I want, uh, like, we're da- we're going to date someday. We're but... date, and I think about her every minute of every day. And for Ivanova, that translates to her saying, she's interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then he's like, can you, can I trust her? And then it turns into this thing of Ivanova saying, yes, she is trustworthy, except she's very loyal to Psychor. Right. Um, that is her weak link. And so by the episode's end, she has seen into uh, uh, Horatio Alger's mind. What's the guy's name? Hold on one more time on that. 
Horatio Alger, Gilded Age uh, author of Rags to Riches stories such as Ragged Dick. Uh, what's the guy's name though? Herman Melville. Abel Horn. Abel Horn. Yeah, okay, Herman Melville. Yeah. Um, she sees in the Herman Melville's mind, Abel Horn's mind, that he was operated on by a Psycor person. Mm-hmm. And then Sheridan's like, "What did you see? Did you see any uniforms in there?" And she says, "No, nothing." And it's like, "Oh, fuck." We can't trust Talia after all. I'm the thing that makes me sad too is like if this is setting up a like long term Talia betrayal or like she chooses Psycorp over the crew, I'll be v- deeply sad. The point is that she has to make a choice and that we as an audience genuinely don't know what choice she's gonna make, which is great. Right. Right, 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 right. That's true uh drama and tension. Yeah, you're not going to like suddenly doubt that Sheridan is going to work for the shadows or something. Right. You know, you're not worrying about that on a minute to minute, but but you're worrying about like is <laughs> is who is Talia actually working for? And as the sort of conspiracy onion peels more and more. So Talia has an uh, a person that helped her when she was a kid on Psycorp named Abby. Um and she mentions that so she like has attachments that are people like between Jason Ironheart, which I'm never gonna forget about, and this Abby person, and uh, all the various can and like I so you know all these people that she knows from Skycorp. She has more connections to Skycorp than she has to Babylon Five. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Right, like that's just that's the thing that be, that came into stark uh, like well, reality this her this whole week. Whole life she's been raised by Skycorp. Yeah, it's her entire well, identity, and so. Yeah, that's what's great about what this episode does is it positions her in a place where we don't we don't know if we can trust her. Yeah. Yeah. I, and mm. and I think this season is kind of moving multiple characters to that weird gray area. Like Londo, you know. Oh. What's up with our sweet our sweet sweet friend Londo? <laughs> our or, sweet self. And then Sheridan, you know, is in a position where like maybe he's gonna say screw earth except i'm a play by the rules guy so i don't know right he's a question mark garibaldi's a question mark. everyone's kind of up in the air right now we, garibaldi we, is like, a beacon a shining beacon of light and, and i won't have this slander <laughs> <laughs> is it is garibaldi a perfect cinnamon roll magellan is that what you're saying he's a perfect cinnamon roll listen oh, i'm yikes I am on the Garibaldi. I am conducting the Garibaldi train, my friend. <laughs> choo choo! It's me, Michael Garibaldi Jr. <laughs> Every, I, by the way, Garibaldi's middle name is Alfredo, which I am learning <laughs> from the Babylon Project wiki. <laughs> Wait, really, Michael yeah. Alf- Alfredo Garibaldi? Yeesh! Just, You're right. Like. What are the Italianiest things we can throw into this guy's name? Yeah, Garibaldi, Alfredo, Michael. <laughs> like, yeah, Michael. He might, he, he might as well be. Well, Michael, I think is Italian, but he's like, or he's from the Bible, so no. Uh, um, is he might as well be Buca de Beppo Jones? <laughs> yeah, but uh, listen, every other time that we've seen Garibaldi interact with Talia, it's been gross. Uh huh. In this episode, I was like, this is really cute. They're having tea. He's talking about his dad and his how his dad was a super cop. Yeah, he's being empathetic. It's an amazing turn. It's great. I'm here. I'm ready for more. Nothing is more disappointing to me, Al. Well, whatever. Everyone has their favorite, and that's great, and I'm happy for you. But 
watching Franklin get worse and Garibaldi get better. It, oh. No, 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 I'm ne- never disappointed in you, buddy. Oh. But Fra- Franklin getting worse and Garibaldi getting better feels like the universe taking its own piece away. <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah. taking a slice of my life pie, of my brain pie. <laughs> it's haunting because really... the Trash Boys, Jakar and Garibaldi, are becoming the true heroes of the show. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there is actually another great Garibaldi moment. This is just going to be the Garibaldi show because we've already talked about cyborg zombies to death. Um, where they're like trying to figure out on the computer what's the deal with Abel Horn and what's his past, and he's like Sheridan, out of the way, I got this. Boop a doop a doop a doop, and he just like hits the keyboard and like does all this amazing hacking stuff, and then it just makes the nearby door open and close again. <laughs> that was so good, and then he just leaves. He waits for it to open and leaves. That's a great, a uh, great moment of physical comedy that they kind of undercut with Sheridan sitting there and being like some wizard, huh? Or like, thanks, Mr. Wizard. <laughs> you didn't need to have a line. Yeah, he so. says, thanks, Mr. Wizard. Yeah. I forgot about thanks. Uh, if we had custom episode names, this would be thanks, Mr. Wizard. Are you joking? <laughs> yeah. I'm not joking. So, yeah, they, they find out that this guy is an evil, is may become an evil cyborg. He, like, has his, apparently he was in a relationship with the Amanda Carter lady from Mars Government. So she's like, no, baby, yeah. please. And, like, he threatens her. And then they are like do a really cool cop moment, which is again just I'm sorry I I know I harp on cops a lot because I don't like the way law enforcement is right now in the world, um, mm-hmm. and I always am weary of when TV shows make cops look cool because of the like problems I have with the current state of that. Um, so there's this, this scene where like Garibaldi and his like cop boys break into the room and it's framed like the coolest shit in the world where they're like all right you guys you're on the left you're on the right guns down let's go and then they come in and like put your guns down it's just like that classic like cop procedural moment where the guy's like i'll shoot the lady and i got the gun and they're like way cooler than him and they get her out and everyone's free and they jump out of an explosion it's like yeah it's just that it's so stupid that they didn't check the room it makes no right? sense at all. Right? <laughs> so <laughs> like... dumb. There's a four-person security detail. They get to the room. The door's closed. Nobody answers the door. The woman who's in this room is the w- person who was dealing with the guy who was murdered. And they're like, yeah, just you know, go head in. And like the reason Talia's there is because the lady was like, uh, hey, come to my quarters. And Garibaldi's like, all right, good luck. And then she goes in the room to meet with the Mars lady. And he doesn't for a moment think that perhaps there's danger afoot. Not for one sec. Um, and not only is there a guy who's threatening the lady, uh, they find out immediately that he's a, he's a bomb? Right. That was cool. Because he's a cyborg, so he's going to blow up. Yeah, they self-destruct because he, like, tries to break free from his control and is, like, trying to be okay. And they're like, all right, hit the nuke button. And they blow him up. And then we have this, like, again, this action movie, like, run around the corner and then kaboosh. Yeah. Not a lot of explosions on Babylon 5. It's kind of fun to be like, oh, yeah, it's still sometimes, like, in the realm of action movies. Sure. Um, The back, the little back end stuff in this episode is really weird. Sheridan, we find out, is a collector of secrets. Yeah. Which is... Like some people have trains, some people have like uh, model kits, some people have, uh, you know, old currency. <laughs> hmm. John Sheridan has like conspiracy theories. 
uh, that he collects and learns about and does way too much research on. And he, he reveals uh, to Garibaldi exclusively that uh, is it is Garibaldi, right? Yeah. That he tells it to. Yes. Uh, the specific branch of Psycorp that's like behind the cyborg stuff is called Bureau 13. He says, it took me three years to learn the name Bureau 13. <laughs> and it sounds like someone just made something up to get him to stop annoying them. To like stop bothering them and like at calling on the phone every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there was actually this, this like the music behind him explaining this conspiracy was amazing. It was just like very John Carpenter, like synthy, like, oh shit, we're getting some things. Uh, and he says like, oh, we're like a spider in the web and like references the name of the episode and all that. Uh, and we learned that there was a person from Psycorp involved like in the act. Of, like we get cuts from uh, what's his face? Uh, Abel Horn's like perspective of a woman who I, I, I end up being referred to at the end of the episode as 13. Uh, and she's like the one who like is there on top of him when he gets put in, under the thingy under and becomes a cyborg mm-hmm. and i think that's where the episode ends off i think we're just like oh shit stuff's happening yeah oh and then yes talia talia, talia looks up, up the and she's dead right they're like make sure like someone on their on their end it's like all right everything's cleaned up no more problems and talia looks up and it's like yeah deceased 13 dead shit man we got we got yeah. conspiracies brewing well here we go <laughs> we're gonna see where that goes talia's kind yeah hope of question mark there's somebody secretly controlling or pulling the strings and yeah you know. conspiracy stuff as we expected um i wonder like if we're going to talk about the broad spectrum of of or like talking about like the meta of babylon 5 um if this season is the sidecorp conspiracy and then the rest of the show is the shadow war like if this is just like teasing shadow stuff and then we're mostly going to get sidecorp this season or vice versa or like what's uh, the big thing I feel like this is the Psycorp season because of all this stuff, but I don't know like what's Talia's like role in the whole show. And what emphasis is like, it seems like by the end of the season, the shadow stuff is going to come to a head. Yes. Yeah. yeah but yeah. maybe the Psycorp thing is more urgently going to be developed. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm interested. And um, you had mentioned last week, uh, that the next two episodes are ones you're very excited for because they seem a little bit more uh, mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. So, Magellan, uh, what are we watching for the last Chatsalon 5 episode of 2018? Oh, fella. We are watching the next two episodes of Babylon 5. They are season 2, episode 7, and season 2, episode 8. I'm reading again from the Amazon summaries. Sorry if they're not uh, the best, but it's okay. First, season two, episode seven, Soulmates. Londo divorces two of his three wives. <laughs> yeah, it seems good, right? <laughs> it does. And then, season two, episode eight, A Race Through Dark Places. Talia discovers dangerous secrets about the Psycor. All right. Ooh. So there you go. That's That's what we're looking for. Londo and his wives. We haven't had good Londo content in a while. And then Sarkor Conspiracy. Perfect. Perfect. That's going to be So great. that'll be a great capper. Um, thank you for reading that. And um, we are now going to take it to the plug zone. Got to gotta pay those bills. If you would like to contact us at the Chat Salon 5 Studios here in the San Diego Wastelands, 
Uh, you can do so by uh, emailing chatspod at gmail.com. Uh, we love receiving emails. We'll read those every week in the show in the middle segment. Uh, you can also hit up chatspod on Twitter uh, where I check uh, our comments. And, and we have listeners over there that like to tweet at us. Uh, rate us on iTunes if you like the show or don't or want to talk and, and give us some critique. Uh, we love those reviews. And finally, if you would like to back us financially and you could help us out there, uh, patreon.com slash chatspod is the best way to do so. Um, you can back us monthly. Uh, at $2 a month, you'll get commentary chats where Magellan and I watch a movie every month. Uh, we just did our December movie, which was Shaolin Soccer. And for January, we're watching Be Kind, Rewind. Yeah. Which is going to be interessante. We probably have to record that soonish, actually, now yeah. that I think about it. Yeah, we do. We're getting there. Um, I want to briefly shout out. Oh, sorry. Also, at $5 a month, you get the best show that we produce, which is Chats Nights, which uh, is where Magellan and I just have conversations. And you remember that we're also friends outside of podcast co-hosts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to briefly shout out our patrons. Um, Jonathan, a, f- a, a great hero of all men. Cat, a pal. Marcus, a hero also of all men. Fendon, a genius and a brilliant human being. Just a perfect boy. And Tom, HK. Why is it one person only a pal? Because they're non-binary and they're also a pal. <laughs> like, I know them personally. Oh, they're a friend of yours. Correct. Uh, and then champion? They're a pal and a champion. You're right, dude. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, You're right. Fuck yeah. Cat is a pal and a champion. I'm trying to catch you, catch you inside. How about that? <laughs> Don't quit your day job. I will. That's what I'll say. I, will I, w- I need to pay the bills. <laughs> um, so thank you, everybody, for supporting us. If you'd like to do so, again, patreon.com slash chatspod. Magellan, you're chatsome for this week. That's your uh, recommendation for the kids. Um, okay, so here's this is, this is my thing. My chatsome is sort of like a hobby that I'm interested in starting and I'm doing research on. So my mom, my mom does this thing called bullet journaling. Ooh, which is like uh, there are these notebooks that have like grids of dots on them, so you can design layouts for your notebook pages. And people use them to like, you know, their to-do lists or habit trackers or like to keep lists of movies they've seen or their calendar. Mm. And the idea is like you can kind of like make each page whatever you want it to be in a cool notebook so i've been watching all these these videos of like vloggers talking about their (laughs) their bullet journals and it's pretty it's pretty cool i mean there is a lot of it that smacks of like privileged white people wanting to track that they're sleeping eight hours instead of seven hours and it's like (laughs) how how productive is this really for our society that we're so self-focused to the point of logging everything and so i'm on Mm -hmm. some level conflicted about it but on some level like you know i would like to eat more vegetables and i think that would keep me alive longer so maybe if i figure out how to make that a fun art project as well that would be cool that's that's my chat yeah i um some bullet journaling videos and see what it's all about (laughs) yeah If you want to get a bullet journal, you can get one. But also, just the videos are fun. Yeah, it's like it's like ASMR videos where it's just like a yeah, nice, basically. relaxing time. Uh, I was gonna say, yeah, I think to speak to the like worry that we are kind of logging so much now. You know, we're in a very hectic time, and 
the idea, like whoever came up with bullet journaling is brilliant because so much of like how we mark things in our lives now is digital between pictures and videos and audio content like this podcast, um, that there is something kind of kitsch and satisfying now about writing physically. Uh, even if it is just like reminding yourself to eat or telling yourself that things are going to be okay. Or like, drawing pictures of something that you saw in the park on a, on a weird day. Like, you know, bullet journaling kind of like is a response to the increasingly hectic digital world that we live in. I think so. Yeah. And I think I'm going to use it more for like memories and ideas and reminders of things than I am mm-hmm. for like tracking data on myself. Cause I don't know, I've gone through phases with that. And I think what I'm finding is that, nowadays in our society there's so much emphasis that's placed on like constant self-improvement yeah yeah what can i be doing better and like how can i make next year an even better year right right it's like we're never like we're never in the space to appreciate anything Mm -hmm. because it's always just like how can i be more productive how can i get more done how can i meet more goals it's like what can we just I'll just live. Yeah, just exist like, for like five minutes. Happy and like write down, like just describe a sandwich. Maybe <laughs> I'll have a page where I just like write all the new sandwiches I have. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I really like that, man. I pre- that's I think that's a great chat some to be H. To be H. Oh, Jesus. I've been poisoned by online. No. <laughs> no. What about you? Uh, yeah, so... Um, I am going to recommend a book this week. A book. A book. book. <laughs> I was going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> if people are like, is this a reference to anything? It's not. Just say it out loud. Just say book and then laugh for five minutes to yourself. <laughs> it's just fucking <laughs> funny. Uh, I want to recommend a book this week called The Prophet. It's a book by Khalil Gibran. Uh, it's from 1923. It's kind of old. Um, but it's a longtime story. favorite of mine. Um, it's my fun fact. It's uh, Papa Allen's favorite book of all time. It's my dad's favorite book. Me dad. Me da. Me. Some people say I look like me da. Uh uh. <laughs> and, uh no, sorry. Nineties music karaoke is another week. Uh, the Prophet is a book of twenty-six prose poetry fables written in English uh, by the Lebanese American poet and writer Khalil Gibran. Um, it's one of the most translated books in history. So any language you oh. speak or read in, you can find the Prophet. Um, each of the poems is, or their fate, like it says, pro, prose poetry fables. Each of them is like a little anecdote about something simple that ma- you can kind of like read into the profundity of as much as you want or as little as you want. Oh. Uh, like he has a whole chapter or a whole story about like a certain type of alcohol that he really likes. And then he has one about like what it's his worries about having kids and uh, he has one about like the struggles working and having to work for a living and owning a house and like crime and like punishment for criminals and freedom and you know like kind of big ideas but framed as just like little stories like I said um, cool. and it's just it's really good it's short it's like less than 100 pages if you just get all of them bound as a book that at least the one I have yeah. um, that has been like in my dad's possession for years is just like a little little paperback yeah. Um I think like uh, these days my favorite books to go back to have been either short story collections or um, poetry collections. Yeah. Like I still 
I constantly mention that like I keep a, a copy of Leaves of Grass in every backpack I ever own, and I feel like the profit is up there with just like I will continue to read and reread this, these stories forever because they're just like you get something new out of it every time. Yeah. And uh, That's great. It's just yeah, it's it's great. So check it out. You can probably it's probably um in the public domain at this point if you just want to like read it. Uh, check it out. Khalil Gibran. Khalil, I guess K H A L I L Gibran G I B R A N. Uh, if you just look up the Prophet book, it also comes up because it's like pretty well known. Yeah, guys, that's uh what we got for this uh fun episode of Chatslon Five. Thank you so much for listening. Peace.